Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Monday morning, a game day for the Utah Jazz. They will play the Lakers tonight. When you play the Lakers, you get 7 o'clock primetime on ESPN because, well, because LeBron, you know why. <clears throat> so the Jazz uh, have a lot to answer for, a lot to bounce back for. That, that game Saturday was just awful. It was a disaster. They didn't show up. They weren't ready to go. It reminded me of, uh, it reminded me of Dennis Lindsay's... Uh, Media availability uh, is uh, just before everybody went to the bubble. <coughs> and he was discussing, you know, what, what are the goals? He was asked, what are the, what's the goal? And, you know, they never want to give a win-loss total, uh, how many playoff rounds you're going to, you know, they don't want to do that until you're good enough that you're right in the mix and then it's just championship or bust, at which point everybody, you know, the Lakers will say, you know, the goal is to win the championship, right? Because what else are the Lakers going to say? But mostly to try to avoid that. And he said, you know, I, I want them to compete. You know, I hope we go down there and compete. And the first game, obviously, with the Pelicans was competition. Also, the Pelicans are, you know, on the outside of the playoff race looking in. Right now, they would miss the playoffs. It looks like they're going to. Uh, but Oklahoma City, that was a potential first-round opponent for the Jazz. You know, they went into that game with the Jazz 4 and Oklahoma City 5. Now, the Jazz were just not in this. It was 10-9. to 9. The Jazz were down by a point they never led. And then it was over. Oklahoma City put a run on them at the end of the first quarter, really for like the last seven or eight minutes. The, the 10 to 9 turned into 29 to 15. And then it went from 14, it went to 24 at halftime, and it went as high as 29. I mean, the Jazz, they had no answers. You know, they didn't defend well, uh, they didn't score well, uh, they really didn't do anything well. You know, they just got drilled. So, you know, bad games happen. You know, it's one game. But you're in the West, and it's really deep. And you, I, I think they're going to play the Thunder or Rockets to open this up. Now, they, they could get the Nuggets. I don't think they'll flip, drop to seven and get the Clippers. Now, the Clippers could drop to three, and they could get the Clippers in a 3-6 series. I think the Jazz are going to stay in front of the Mavericks and hold out the seventh spot. But it, that doesn't really matter. You know, whoever they get in the first round of what we saw Saturday – and really off what we saw Thursday, too, the Jazz will be overmatched. they got to play better. And tonight will be a good test. Now, the Lakers won't be in playoff mode tonight, but they're still the Lakers, and they still got LeBron. So, intriguing game tonight. All right, DJ and PK. Coming up, uh, a couple of interviews. Uh, we had Tim Brando on Friday. Why don't you listen to this? He just thinks the NCAA is a mess, and he, he, they need a czar. And, and it seems like, off the headlines we heard over the weekend, it seems more likely uh, that the Power Five might try to break away and hold their own championships. I don't think they'll do that, but it's certainly being floated. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to check in with Tim Brando, longtime voice. Uh, you hear him on ESPN, now on Fox. Uh, and he is uh, really upset with the way things are going with the NCAA. And now, subsequent to this interview, we see the Power Fives really upset and thinking about staging their own championships for fall sports. They're ticked at the NCAA. Is this going to lead to the split that's been rumored for a decade or more? 
I don't think so, but you can't rule it out. Here's PKN with Tim Brando. Curious with the news of the SEC, how much that surprised you? Because it seemed like the ACC did the 10 plus 1 so they could play a bunch of in-state rivalry games, but the SEC didn't do it. And uh, Curious what you thought of that and, and if you've heard anything about where the Big 12 is going. No, well, to be honest with you, Bob Bowlesby, yesterday I thought I saw him uh, on my friend Paul Feinbaum's show, and he was on right before uh, Sankey. And I thought he tipped his hand a little bit. We'll see. Uh, at first, earlier in the week, I thought that uh, the Big 12 probably had everything in play, that they might um, that they might try to get 12 games in. If you noticed Oklahoma, Joe Costiglione, their athletic director, I think is one of the best in the business, uh, and Lincoln Riley, who I think through the pandemic era has been one of the coaches that has really shined brightly in terms of trying to be a leader, you know, the, looking at legitimately looking at a spring option and investigating the possibilities of it and all kinds of other things. But uh, I think to some extent with the moves made by the, 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 the ACC on Wednesday and then uh, yesterday uh, the SEC doing what they're doing, uh, I, I don't know that the Big 12 – uh, has an option other than um, playing their their round robin schedule that they always play, and then a limited number of non conferences uh, that, that they want to play that their teams want to play in what would be a truncated season. Uh, but let's let's just for argument's sake say that they did try to play all twelve games. Well, the whole month of September, really in terms of big time power conference football, would be theirs for the taking if they so chose. I mean, um, you know, we're talking about three weeks later for the SEC, a couple of weeks later uh, for the Big Ten and um, and the ACC. Uh, not just week zero, but week one, week two, week three are, are, are open and an opportunity to, to impress. So, listen, I know that's not a priority. <laughs> it shouldn't be a priority. Uh, the health and safety and well-being of the – of the student-athlete, as we like to be told uh, so often by so many that are in positions of power in college football is what comes first. But the thing that we notice, and if you haven't noticed it, uh, as <laughs> then I think you've been asleep at the wheel, is um, we are lacking universal leadership in a very big way. All this collegiality that we were told, and I, listen, I've talked to commissioners and athletic directors for the last four and a half months, and every one of them said, gosh, Tim, the communication and transparency – and collegiality has never been better. We're Zooming with one another. We're doing this. In the end, they all do what? Um, they all try to outsmart one another uh, and, 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 and see how much better their optics look than the other guy's optics. The decision by the ACC to play the additional game outside of their 10 conference games and really the, the coup of getting Notre Dame, that was a coup. Okay, because the Irish in 158 years of football have never played for a conference championship. They were only going to get to play six games with the decisions made by the Big Ten and the Pac-12, taking out you know virtually half of their schedule. And Notre Dame now sharing its revenue from NBC with the ACC membership and vice versa. Boy, oh boy, to have the opportunity to keep those games with Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky. These are bus ride games, fellas. These are bus ride games. These, these are games that are really easily played. And what happens here is the SEC says, oh, we're, 
this this is an opportunity for us to set a, set that aside. We don't necessarily need that. We will play just conference games and forget those meaningful games. I'm telling you, there are athletic directors within the Southeastern Conference today that are not happy about losing those rivalry games in the neighboring conference. But the presidents of the institutions, in this case, I believe, drove the decision-making process. And they wanted to make it appear as though, you know what, and look, that's fine. With They may be right. They may absolutely be right. Let's allow the student body to come back on campus and intermingle with our players so that if there is a spike, it happens before we play. And we're, that, that's, that's telling the country that we really do care about the optics and about the, the, um, the circumstances of health and well-being and safety for our student-athletes. I, I get that. Okay, but in the end, was it that much different than starting a week earlier and keeping those games in play? I don't think so. So, again, I just think that this is another indication of why we need a czar for college football. We need someone that will help these leaders, though I believe are well-intentioned, these commissioners that are well-intentioned, to do what's right and to do it in a unified manner. And um, Bowlesby said yesterday, well, it's we, aspirationally, we never really wanted to do anything uh, as a group. Really? Why wouldn't it be your aspiration? Why wouldn't it be in the best interest of college football for you to send out the same message? That's the problem with college football. And um, it's a shame. It really is. But uh, anyone that thinks that college football doesn't need a czar now, after what we've witnessed these last few weeks, they're asleep at the wheel. College football needs a major overhaul in the way that it conducts its business. Uh, and it's not the leaders necessarily, but it is the dysfunction of the infrastructure of the sport that they are managing that's in need of change, massive change. So what is it? Is it about giving up power? Is that the issue? <laughs> well, I, would, you, would you say that the egos of those involved at these, at these schools that, are, that, are, that, that the commissioners serve – Listen, they serve at the, at the pleasure of the presidents of the universities, do they not? Right. Those are the people they answer to. And, yeah, I, I don't think when you're talking about that kind of power, then I think, yeah, check your egos in at the front desk, and let's have someone with purview, okay, that's looking out for the best interest of the totality of the sport, not just your own constituencies. You know, when the ACC did what they did, they clearly opened the door for the Southeastern Conference to say, okay, well, unlike what the Big Ten did uh, and unlike what the Pac-12 did, we're going we're gonna to reach out and see if we can keep some unity here because of these longstanding rivalries. The currency of college football is what? It's tradition. It's history. And those games, Louisville, Kentucky, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, um, Clemson, South Carolina, those games mean a lot. I mean, they mean a lot to their to their to their their fans and to the history of of the fan bases of those schools for well over a century, and 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 it would have been so easy for the SEC to say, okay, we're starting September nineteenth, and we'll allow for those games to be played uh, down here in Louisiana, where I live. The Texas LSU game could have stayed in play. That's another. Well, it was a quick charter flight or a bus ride from Austin to to Baton Rouge. Um, you know, that's that's clearly what it is. What I'm saying to you is 
you know, it didn't take a pandemic for me to know that this was a problem. But this pandemic, I think, has made it clear to everyone what I've been talking about for 15 years. We need, we need someone with purview, somebody to not strip power from the commissioners. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about giving consultation and helping these guys coordinate the ideas of these highly intelligent, well-intentioned men and women. Okay? They need some of that. And um, it allows for the NCAA to stick its nose in where it doesn't belong. Now, you're going to be hearing all, all week now about the Board of Governors meeting uh, next week when uh, they'll decide on whether the non-revenue producing sports will have their fall championships. And like, like this, is, this is going to be some impact. It, it, college football has not, been, <laughs> has not been a part of the NCAA's power base since 1984. And yet some of its leaders, mostly presidents, will say, well, <clears throat> let's, let's, let's see how this looks from an optics standpoint. Uh, Mark Emmert uh, has done nothing as a leader of the NCAA to help, from a substantive standpoint, anything that's taken place in college football. But when it's about imagery or it's about, hey, look at me, here's what I'm doing, you know, he'll take advantage of that. Like yesterday, coming out and saying what he did with regard to the um, uh, the allowance that the NCAA will make for players to take their names off the back of their jerseys and write something about social justice, like that's okay. Really, you really think that the presidents of the schools, the commissioners of the leagues, and more importantly, the programs of public universities—some private, but mostly public—are going to be are going to be allowing necessarily these types of things to happen. And if they do, that's their choice. It's not the NCAAs. It doesn't fall into his category. But he does this, and it enables fans to believe that the NCAA actually has power. It hasn't. It hasn't had power since 1984. Look it up, Supreme Court lawsuit, universities of Georgia and Oklahoma. The NCAA has not had any governance other than infractions enforcement. They've done an awful job of that. And, oh, by the way, sanctioning bowl games that no one cares about. That's all they do. So why should they even be a factor? So, so America does not know who's – America doesn't know who's in charge of college football because in terms of the sport nationally, no one is. It's painfully obvious no one is. So do you think they're actually going to be playing these 10-game seasons? Or are they setting up a schedule that it just isn't going to be possible to execute in the fall or the winter or possibly even the spring – and if they've, if they've got to push it back, is there anyone, could the commissioners get together and push the playoff back two months, put it after the Super Bowl so they have a little more time to finish this 10-game season, if, if that's even possible? I think anything is possible, and everything's on the table. Uh, as it relates to whether the games are going to be played, I, listen, in my view, I mean, I may not be a rocket scientist, but I don't believe that John Swafford, who has been a great commissioner for a long time in the ACC and is in his final year, would have worked so diligently with Jack Swarbrick at Notre Dame for them to do something as historic as they did. I, I thought that was an unbelievable, I mean, really historic story this week, what, what they were able to pull off. Uh, and it may actually change the face and complexion of, of uh, college football down the road. I, I, for one, believe Notre Dame, maybe not their fans, but certainly their players and their institution, 
will see the light if they do get to play this this schedule in the uh, ACC. Because if they go back to their normal eight-game schedule in coming years, Notre Dame could hold on to their games with Stanford and USC and Navy and, and maybe Michigan or Michigan State uh, with an eight-and-four lineup that they have in that conference in the future. So I don't know that they go to that kind of trouble because that's they're, they're jumping through hoops to make that happen. Uh, and there was a lot of give and take between both. So I think the intention is to play, very much so. Um, I know a lot of fans, and particularly some in the media, are like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about it because if they don't play, college football's losses from a physical standpoint will be so catastrophic that about 30% of Division One college football will be out of business. Out of business. The loss of the NCAA tournament last year, a loss of a complete college football season this year. And if you're a group of five or FCS school right now, you're scurrying just to find out how much money you can not lose. You know you're going to lose, but how, how can we find a way to lose less? That's what they're doing right now. Okay, they've been rendered, they've been kicked to the curb. The MAC, Conference USA, Mountain West, um, Sunbelt, all. They've all been kicked to the curb. And, um, you know, it may be in their best interest to go to the spring just to make sure that they uh, lose less money. And, and, and that's unfortunate. But it's these schools that are the Power Five structure that have put in place the college football playoff where they get a certain percentage of money and these money games that are out there. Does anybody, who's, who's thinking about them? And again, college football does not have universal leadership. If we had a czar or commissioner or consultant to these commissioners, someone could be looking out for the totality of the sport, and, and it's not there right now. I will tell you, I think in some form we'll have college football. My opinion, we will have a college football season. Obviously, it's not going to be scheduled the same. Obviously, it's not going to look or maybe even sound the same to some extent. But um, granted, we've got more concerns than just whether football is played. But if you're looking at it from a sports standpoint, unlike the NFL, unlike the MLB, unlike the NBA, there is no, there's no war chest to support the future of college football if it's or college athletics, for that matter. Okay, Title IX sports, non-revenue producing sports at the major college level. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned, those that fall into the category of Group of Five or FCS. If college football is not played, it will be the death nail to a lot of those schools. Tim, we appreciate a few minutes and all those opinions. Thanks for coming on and sharing. You bet. Anytime, fellas. Tim Brando. Fox Sports National Commentator. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, there's Tim Brando. When we come back, Joe Ingles, stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. 
Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from Joe Ingles. He joined us. We were surprised. He joined us right at the end of the show on Friday. It was like a quarter till. And about three or four minutes in the interview, Scott Gerard texted us and said, don't worry about getting out for our show. Uh, stay with Joe. And I thought the last 10 minutes as Joe got into um, – yeah, PK asked him about, you know, to be a foreign player in a foreign country and, and kneel for that country's anthem, is that awkward? And, and Joe really got into why, what he's thought about, what he's heard, why he does what he does. And then there's some follow-up questions, and I thought that was 10 of the best minutes of conversation we've had with Joe in a long time, and we've had a lot of good conversations with him. Uh, so here's Joe Ingles with PK and I. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, go to mountainlandsupply.com. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Getting on the air this week just under the wire in the final segment. The 60th of our 60 segments this week. Here he is, Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. It's just such an honor to be here. <laughs> you missed us. Don't downplay it. You called us. We were ready to give up, but you came through. because you. Missed I never give up on Joe. You missed us, Joe. You know what happened was um, your wonderful producer, who I speak with regularly, uh-huh. texted me a couple times about times and I was like trying to figure out scheduling and because we every single day we get a different schedule and it's not our choice we get given it so we have to wait for a certain time and then we get it and then by the time we get it texted to us and I'd actually just forgotten to write back to him a couple of times and I was like look I was just literally just getting some treatment then and I was looking through my messages and I was like man I forgot to apply and I was like I can do it right now and he promptly wrote back as always and look where we are. Awesome. <laughs> Spectacular. Well, we're glad you're here, Joe. I, I just want to, before we get into the basketball, and I'm sure PK, he's got multiple questions for you, but is that schedule thing, it's a bubble thing, and so those of us who aren't in the bubble maybe don't fully get it, but one of those things on the schedule is when you have to get tested, and I've read about guys who missed their test and then had to immediately be quarantined because they missed their test, so you really can't screw that up, can you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, honestly, it's the 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 whole schedule is kind of like that. Um, you get given times. Um, obviously, we get a, a text with our, our schedule, um, kind of post game or post practice or whatever for the next day. And um, the, the, I mean, this morning for us was ten thirty to eleven thirty. Um, you can try and sneak in in other teams. Um, times if, if there's no one in there, but but obviously they want kind of everybody going in their time, so um, yeah, and if you, I mean, I think there's been a couple players, and I don't know what they do, obviously it was kind of like a pre-season or whatever you want to call it, I don't know if they would actually sit people out for, for not doing it, but um, I, I guess they kind of have to, to a certain extent too, because if someone is potentially going to test positive or whatever, then um, 
that have to do obviously have to do their tests. So yeah, it's pretty. It's same thing with the the court times. You get given a, a practice time, a, a time slot for practice, and you've you've got to make that work. So there's no consistency in terms of of if we're in Utah, we practice at like ten or eleven or whatever every day. It doesn't matter what day it is. We're we're ten or eleven in the morning. So we've practiced six to nine, seven to ten. One, I think today we're one to four. Um, we've practiced in the morning. So, like, so it's just every day is different. So you just got to adjust and um, you just got to make it work. So outside of the pregame with the kneeling and the no fans and all, everything else seemed to be the same. You're running around chasing J.J. Reddick nonstop, <laughs> and, that, and then that's always fun to see. You know, it looked like you're – you got to run around with your head cut off and trying to figure out where he's going next. I'm just wondering, from my perspective, sitting down, once the game got going, aside from the couple other things, it seemed like a normal game. Is that the way it was for you, or was it a little bit different? No, no, it did. It, it was, I, I was I was just walking back from breakfast and, and talking to um, one of the Milwaukee assistants who, who are there playing. I think they played today. And he was asking about it. And that's it's really what I said. It's, it's everything felt the same. Um, obviously, once you, you start playing, the, the competitive nature of it just kind of kicks in, and you, you're not really worried about kind of who's courtside or who's in the like. You're not thinking about your family. They're like, there's nothing. And I think that's the same for everyone. If we play in Utah or if we play on the road, you once once the game starts, you're into it. And um, honestly, the the only difference I saw. Um, which might be kind of good or bad was um, but it was the crowd there's obviously not as much crowd noise that, that constant noise of, of people talking or clapping or booing or like, like it doesn't matter what it is just, but that's just that constant noise and, um, they did a really good job of whatever you call it, like virtual clapping virtual cheering for us it was a road game yesterday so it was all like kind of New Orleans signage around on the screens and it was their fans, majority of their fans on the virtual screen. And um, But yeah, like you said, it was um, it was a lot more normal than, than I thought it was going to be kind of coming into this a month ago. So you talk about once the game gets going, you get into it. I think for a lot of Jazz fans watching that, the first half especially was a lot of stops and starts. The team might play well for a couple minutes, but then there were some really bad possessions, and suddenly you're down 12 at the half. So it seemed like it did take a while to really get into and play the way you can, but given up 17 points in the fourth quarter, that looked like what people expect, and most importantly, what Quinn Snyder expects. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, I mean, even in these, these pre, pre-season, whatever you want to call it, games, um, I mean, we were our, our kind of that main rotation. We were only playing 15, 20 minutes, so it's it's kind of nowhere near um, the regular minutes we, we were going to play. Um, it, it's not hard to get in the rhythm, but you, you, I understand it from both point of views. They don't want to, with the players, like, run us into the ground before the season even starts and they just want us to kind of get into it and get a flow and, and obviously from a, a player's point of view it's like I want to play every minute like once I'm out there I want to play I want to get in the rhythm and all that so um, I probably in my head knew it was going to be a little bit ugly I, I think what we need uh, especially without Boyan you lose kind of 20 points a game automatically and um, 
I think for us, regardless, we've tried to be a defensive team. I think that's what we should be holding our hat on, and I think we have for a long time. And um, it was up and down. Like I said, we we missed some shots. I think I think we missed some shots that we will we will make in the future. Um, getting a flow of like who you're playing with at different times and the, the lineups and when you can be aggressive and when you can't be. And I, I think that stuff will just continue to get better. But what we knew coming into that game that that, that second half last corner if we, we really locked down defensively we could we could make a push yeah, everyone was getting tired um, but I personally could see on their faces like they were exhausted in the last quarter and um, we tried to run as much as we could which I think we did a really good job of and we pushed it and we kind of kept the subs coming and we just kept pushing it and pushing it and that's what got us back in the game and then obviously just kind of executing down the stretch with um Donovan's pull up and then the play made to, to find Rudy and then obviously huge free throws by, by Rudy at the end and Royce plays a, a really good possession at the end to contest a, a, a pretty tough three and um, yeah we come away with a win so in a season of adjustments you're having to make another adjustment with Bogdanovich out obviously I'm wondering does this team need to have success to improve its confidence in terms of maybe proving to yourselves maybe you don't need it that's why I'm asking the question that you can win just as well without one of your key players as with him yeah I mean I I, I think our group has confidence regardless of, of who's out there honestly I think um you could put one of our rookies in. You could put whoever it is in. If we had, if we brought someone in to to replace Boyan for this stretch, like the rules allow, or whatever. Like to to me, the way we play and the confidence that that Quinn gives us all, uh, I think we could literally play with anyone out there. I think um, we'd be a confident team regardless. But uh, like you can say all you want, and, and we can pretend or, or really act like we're, we're confident but it's different out there with our boy he's he spaced it before he, he's obviously a hell of a scorer um, I've said it before but I thought he was really good defensively for us this year um, which has not been something in the past that people talk about um, so it's, it's automatically different and my six years here we've, we've fought that a lot guys have been injured in and out and we've done it a lot this year with Mike and stuff and, and obviously now Boyan so I think it's 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 honestly kind of a part of our DNA. I think we're, we're used to being the underdog. We're used to being counted out. Um, we're usually better in games that we're, we're not favourited in. We're, we're usually better in the games that people count us out. And um, that's a, a really good thing. But then on the flip side, you obviously have to be ready for, for any game. So we'll, we'll be confident no matter who's out there. Um, obviously, we all want to be healthy this whole time. If if something was to happen, and and you never know, this this whole bubble thing is, is bizarre anyway. So you never know what could happen. But it's always been that kind of next man up mentality. I heard some quotes from Donovan. There were actually parts of the bubble that were enjoyable. That you know you can sit and eat, and you're not going to have any fans come up to you or anything like that. That guys are able to you know hang out a little bit on the off time and that you're kind of getting some level of, of comfort there. Is there any of that for you or is that just for him? No, no, definitely. Um, the first kind of 72 hours to that first week, like that first three to five days was, was pretty tough. Um, I think the whole, and not necessarily just being like quarantined for the first two days, and the food that we were getting was, hilarious those first two days like just those things were, were frustrating but but it, like obviously everyone's different for me just not 
not being with my kids, not being getting up with the kids. Like it was, it was very different to my life for the last three months. And um, I think it's it was taking everyone differently. We, we were talking about it the other day, like people that are close to me, which obviously my family is different for like Royce or Donovan. Like Royce is like, man, I just love to have my dog here. Like that's his comfort. That's what what he has at home and he's used to having. So. I think everyone had little things individually that they are used to that, that is normal for their everyday life. And I, I think that's a big part of getting used to it. And obviously, we're a close-knit team anyway. We, we hang out a lot anyway and all that. This just kind of puts it on another level because every meal's together, every team meal. There's there's obviously now, um, there's a couple of restaurants we can go and eat at, which wasn't at the start of this. We, we couldn't do that while everyone was getting their tests ordered and, and all that. So it's... Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think guys are a lot more comfortable now, and and I think the other thing that that people count out a little bit is that, that there hasn't been a a positive test since since the first. Whatever, I think there was two people, the first one, and, and zero since. Uh, um, you feel a lot more comfortable walking around, and, and obviously everyone's doing the right thing by by the rules or whatever they are here. But um, that whole comfort level just kind of eases when when you know everyone everybody's doing the right thing. Um, to, to stay here as long as we can. Do you think this so-called public spat that Gobert and Mitchell had can actually be beneficial to the team because it really puts maybe more of the focus on winning? Um, yeah, I mean, I still, and I'll, for as long as I live, um, like, push and believe of, of how much it got blown out of proportion. Like, I'm, I'm with these guys every day. Um right not during quarantine because I was abiding by the rules. Um, but, but I'm with these guys. Right now. I mean, I'm in the jazz group text that we, we talk in every day. Like, it's, um, like they've both come out. Like there was frustration. There was frustration with everyone. I, I didn't speak to any of my teammates for the first two or three weeks. And that's not because I don't like my teammates. Uh, I, it was a frustrating situation for all of us, no matter who did have a first or who didn't. And, my only thought for those next couple of weeks was, was my family. Like I didn't have any interest in talking to my team. Like I was trying to make sure my, my family and my kids were safe. So it um, doesn't mean I hate my teammates. It's just, it is what it is. So I think it, I really think it got blown out of proportion. Yeah. I mean, as teammates and like I've played with Rudy for six years, have, have we only had good times? Like, no, we've yelled at each other. We've got mad at each other. We've probably gone home pissed off at each other. Um, We've had conversations after, and, and kind of, it's just a part of, the part of being a professional in, in this business. We all want to win. We all want the best. We all want to play as well as we can. We all want. I mean, I'd love to have a fifty-point game. Like, how cool would that be? But like, it, it's a team game. There's so much more to it. So, um, I'll I'll forever think it got blown out of proportion. I think with with the world being kind of shut down the way it was at that time, I thought it. People took advantage of, of the story and, and ran with it. Um, but I also think it, on the flip side, it, it, it might have just helped them anyway, regardless. Like, there's always frustration between players, and um, oh, I think they've played really well together. The priest, the, whatever those three games where they played really well, the, the training camp leading up, they've played really well. Like, I don't think um, whatever had happened or, or not happened, there was no grudges, there was no whatever was said in the media, whatever it was, it was. Um, like you said, now it, it switches to like let's just win. Like if 
if we're winning basketball games, no one's, if, we, if we come out and, and lost every game and, and lose all these eight games, then, then it probably gets brought back up again. But the, the more we win, the more people forget about it. And like I said, I, I, I really got blown out of proportion. I'm finding it odd that uh, Quinn is canceling multiple practices. You would think that with the uh, you know having to scrape the what rust off. Practices he canceled for you. Yeah, he, he ain't canceled none of mine. Really, we got we got an email <laughs> that the Jazz will not practice today. I got to send that email last night, and that's not the first time I've gotten it. Have you been going every day? Uh, no, we've we've obviously had our our oh, come on, off. Joe. Do you want me to finish? Or you got to butt in? Go ahead. Um, no, we, we've had our schedule days off with, with obviously with, with Quinn and the medical staff that they sort out and um, we have a lot of days which are kind of called cool, what we call them get what you need days so if, if you feel like you need to go and work out or shoot you, you can we've got the court one to four like I said we get a time every day so um, 99% of the time on these get what you need days pretty much everyone goes um, unless there's an, an injury or something that someone's staying back for treatment but I'm pretty sure everyone will go over. Obviously, the rookies and the young guys always go, and then as older guys kind of plop in a little bit later and um, shoot a couple threes, and I'll go, go get a lift in. And um, I think that's what, like it's as comfortable as we are here now. You could you could also get really comfortable, and you play every second day. Like you you could use it would be easy to fall into having every second day off and just not doing anything and I think people's bodies and stuff will start to break down and get sore doing that we've got a a pretty unreal team here of, of staff and, and medical staff and strength coaches and all that that, that keep us going and um, I'm going to listen to them and, and keep doing what I've done for the last few years As a foreign player with all this social activism is it awkward in any way or form to take part in it in a different country, particularly with respect to the national anthem? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely different for me, I think. Um, I, I'm obviously from a different country. Um, it's not necessarily like my anthem. I, I'm not a citizen. I'm not, I'm not anything like that. I've obviously done what our team has kind of done since I've been here, we've, we've stood, obviously stood there. We've we've locked arms in the past. Um, I think for the last couple of years, we'd we'd done that. Um, obviously, f- for for me, it's and it's why I've got what I've got on my jersey. Like I'm I'm not from here. I've got a lot of black friends, black teammates, people that I'm some of my closest friends are, um, and I've had conversations with them. And obviously, teammates we sit in rooms and talk and. I said it when I was talking about what what I put on my jersey and, and speaking to my teammates and they thought that was a, a powerful message to, for an Australian or, or a non-citizen or whatever you want to call it to, to stand there and um, support my teammates, support my friends. Like I I don't think people people will be underestimate like like some of my best friends that I'll forever be friends with are black guys that I love like my family and. I'm forever in, in whatever situation or circumstance I'm going to support my friends and my family like you would at any other time um, and for me it was um, obviously I, I understand the other side of it a little bit too like I, I, I do understand I, I don't think there's not one person here that is doing it for the wrong reason they're, they're not doing it to disrespect the flag or the anthem I, I 100% believe that Um 
And obviously, in thinking that, I I wanted to be there to support my teammates. And I, and I told them from day one, like, whatever you guys or, or the, the group, or I think there was whatever three hundred players here, whatever the decision is from that, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be there with you. And um, yeah, I mean, it was to me, it, it felt really good for me to be able to support like I said, my friends and, and guys I consider family. So um, I know people, I mean, we've we've read some of the comments, we've, we've seen it, um, people saying they're never going to watch the Jazz again, they, they're never going to a game, they just lost their season tickets or handing them in or, or whatever you say. Um, but I honestly, deep down, I, I know that no one's done this um, with the, the wrong intentions in mind. This is... Um, it's not to disrespect or anything like that, and um, obviously that's why I was I was comfortable taking part and, and supporting my my guys. I was surprised watching the whole Michael Jordan documentary when they got to the point where they asked Steve Kerr if uh, he and Michael, both of whom had their fathers murdered, ever talked about that. And despite yeah. the fact they got pretty close, Steve said, "No, we never went there." Maybe it's just, you know, it's just too much, right? And so you are informed, obviously, by your teammates' experiences. I mean, you're a white guy, right? And you listen to your black yep. teammates talk. And I wonder how much this team is informed, the guys who are teammates. I know that there's some turnover every year. But I wonder how much this team was informed by um, Cephalosha. You know, he missed a year in the NBA. Uh, police yep. broke his leg in New York. He got like a $4 million settlement, right? I mean, they did something wrong. The fact he was an NBA player and he was rich did not help him in that moment. Um, So I'm curious if that was something that he talked about with a lot of guys on the team, one guy on the team, if that's somewhere you just didn't go? No, no, we've... um, I mean, well, I've I've been here six years now and and obviously Quinn's been the the head coach for that and and anything in in the six years of of me living here that that has happened in this country... um, whether it be racism based or, or whatever Tarbo situation, um, and not saying we talked about Tarbo situation as a team, but um, well, we, will, we we sit in a room and, and we discuss it. And, and Quinn's a um, kind of an open book with that. Like let let people uh, like I, I kind of wish in some respects that the 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 people that are, are thinking kind of not the negative way but the, the thing thinking that we're doing this for the wrong reason I wish they could sit in a room with these guys and I'm like I'm not going to name names because it's obviously not my place to, to put their business or anything out there but some of the conversations that I've had that I've listened to within our film room or, or wherever it is like have made me sick to my stomach have made me go home and, and speak to like I've, I'm like getting almost teary like now about thinking about what some what some of their family, friends, brothers, sisters, parents have, have had to go through. Like it's it's something that me and my and and Renee, like we're never going to have some of these conversations with our kids ever. Like I'm never, I've never once in my life been pulled over and been worried about my, my life or anything. Like it's if 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 you could sit in this like in these rooms and listen to these people talk and how upset like it, it breaks them and I, I think that for me makes it easier for my decision to, to support my guys because I, I hear it like I I can look at these guys faces and see how distraught they are from it and that's why 
I know from my point of view, I'm doing the right thing by supporting them and being by their side and no, nothing would change that. Like, no one would be able to, because I, like I said, like I sit there and I watched, like, I wish I could <laughs> elaborate more a little bit, but um, like I said, it's not my, my business to, to kind of put people's, people's, other people's business out there, but some of these conversations have been like extremely hard to, to listen to and that's why, like I said, like I'm, I'm so comfortable doing and representing the, the way I am is because of these things and, and these meetings and, and conversations I've, I've been a part of. It'd be interesting if those guys wanted to put some of those stories out in society, and I get, I yeah. get why they may not want to, but at the same time, the whole relationship with the media is changing so fast. We can go on some of these Zoom calls, and we can yeah. say we want to ask a question, but they may not even call us. They may not open our mic. So it's harder than ever to get these stories out there. But you see the fans who say they'll never watch a game or go to a game, and you know they don't hear these stories. There's got to yeah. be a way to bridge that gap. And obviously the yeah. best way would be right here with PK and I on this show. But <laughs> if that can't work, the second best way is on one of my TV shows. And if that can't work, then I suppose there are other media outlets that would probably do a fine job with it. But I really no, think those stories need 100%. to be told because that's the gap that really needs to be bridged. Or we're just going to keep yelling at each other and we're not going to go anywhere. For sure, and I, and that's why, like I said, like I would, it's not my my place to, to put these I stories on names, and yeah. but like I do agree, I think it, it could help, but I also see from, from their point of view again, sure. like how hard it is to like, I think God, we've had guys sit in this thing and like bawling, crying, talk, telling these stories, and that's to like 10, 15 people that are, we're, we're, are really close with. Like we see each other every day, we're comfortable talking and laughing and like whatever it is. And like to see that with your own, like I can, you can tell and you can feel by the, the way they're talking, how much it, it not just hurts them, but their, their parents or their brothers or sisters or grandparents, like whoever it is in the family or, or close friends. But um, I, I think it's really hard for them to tell those stories and um, I do like you said I, I I think it would help but I also see the side of, of how hard it would be to, to open up about some things like that well maybe one time there'll be one guy who can do it I get it's not for everybody I really do get that for sure and it's like honestly not putting it on the same level but it was like when DeRozan and Kevin Love started talking about the mental health and, yeah. and more guys now started to open up about it now every NBA team's got a um I don't know what you, a mental health advisor or whatever the um, kind of specific role is, but um, yeah, I mean, you you never know what what will happen, and um, but yeah, like it's I I hundred percent, like I said, stand by my my teammates, and, and the reason why is because I've been in those conversations. I I would just hope that everyone could um, maybe you're not going to hear it from these specific players, but just have a think about like some of the stuff that you read about happening to, to your own family or your own brother or sister or mum or dad. And um, that's why I said that's why it makes me so comfortable to, to do what I do because I, I have heard that. Joe, thanks for calling in. We're glad we got back. you got back to us and were able to come on t- today. No, no worries at all. Appreciate it. All right, there is Joe Ingles. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.